podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. We're called Whistle, and this is true. We love to do the things that we're not supposed to do. We don't need robbing, stealing, or mugging. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. My name's Stuart Wright, and the Whistleblowers, as always, is back for this season by Labrooks. Check out the latest offers and odds at bet.thewhistleblowers.net Right then, we're, uh, we're in the, uh, the very businessy end of the season and it seems that in just the space of two weeks since I last did the Whistleblowers things seem to be working themselves out I think when, we start, when I started then it was obvious City were going to win but it wasn't obvious who was going to get down um, So, uh, and the top four was still very much a uh, fight between five teams for three places, and I think it looks like that might have sorted itself out. So it's good to have on board, for the first time on Whistleblowers, Cal Kopak, Liverpool, and Ripperologist. Thank you, yes. How does, how, does, uh, <laughs> how does someone from the Merseyside region end up being an expert on Jack the Ripper? Well, it's just a standard thing. Most people do football writing and Ripperology. <laughs> There's always a link between Victorian murders and no. Um, basically, I've lived down here since 1988, and one day I got lost in East London, and I saw a uh, Jack the Ripper tour guide giving a brief talk, and I thought, I'll go home, and I'll look, up that, that, I'll look it up later on. And then two years later, I'm giving talks at conferences about it. My word. How <laughs> do you do? The, the standard story. Everyone's done that. Was it, was it, uh, Edward, uh, was it the member of the royal family? It, it was not Prince Albert's victim. Not no. Prince, no. no he was in Scotland during yep. the double bears. Ah, uh, right, right. Yep. Well, okay. that, that voice there, just, just helping along with the conversation, is Phil Whelan's uh, of uh, Stop Hammer Time. Rigorously interviewing, I think. I think, I think that's what it was. I, I thought Brian Waldron <laughs> yeah, just walked that's in. Exactly, yeah. I paxman my way into that. <laughs> Carl, who did it? Tell me who did it. Now, before we, uh, we talk about the, um, the fortunes of Liverpool and West Ham, um, let's go to Zara Zomorodian, who I uh, spoke to about Newcastle. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. Zara Zamarodian. Hello, Zara. Hello, Stuart. How are you doing? Um, before we talk about the fantastic result for Newcastle at the weekend, let's just quickly plug a documentary film, We Are the Geordies, that you've produced. What's, what's happening with that? Uh, we're, currently, we're in post-production. Um, we have just about finished editing it, and then we have to kind of make it look pretty, so you do all the colour grading and all that kind of thing put some graphics on, do a sound mix. We're just about there. And We Are The Geordies is about what? It's actually about um, Newcastle United's fans um, last season, so not the current Premier League season, last season when they were in the Championship. Myself and my partner, the director, followed a group of um, 10 Newcastle United fans as they followed Newcastle United's season through mm-hmm. the Championship. And that was a... Seemingly a hell of a gamble because it was a, it was the classic. Um, the big news before the season started was Rafa Benitez staying on board in a Championship side, which I don't think anybody outside of Newcastle could have perceived was possible. That was kind of the impetus for the story. That was kind of the hook, if you like, for the documentary. I happened to be speaking to um, a Liverpool fan in a bar in London, and Rafa had. This was kind of about a week after Rafa had announced he was going to stay. And I said, well, I've always kind of half kicked around an idea in my head um, about Newcastle United fans and doing some kind of documentary following a season through the eyes of the fans. And he said, oh, you should do it this season because, you know, you've got Rafa Benitez. He's gone from the Bernabeu. He's going to be going to Burton. He's going to be doing all these kind of things. And, you know, it's 
going to be a really amazing season for you guys and you've got a total hook of a world-class manager in a second second tier division mm. um and i said the season starts in two months there's absolutely no way we can turn this around in two months uh but we did so kind of two months to the day after this conversation um with Stephen in London, we were sitting interviewing Rafa Benitez in the training ground the day before the Fulham game, which was the opening game of the season. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on getting the film made and good luck with the rest of the uh, post-production kerfuffle you have to go through to get it ready for us viewers to watch it. Now, like I, like I already previewed, this weekend was a fantastic result for uh, Newcastle 1-0 at home to Huddersfield, one of your, I guess, bottom half of the league rivals. And... Before we start this conversation, I was drawn to your Facebook feed where you've, you've posted a tweet from somebody who goes by the name of at NE28 underscore NUFC, if anybody wants to look this up, to which he says on this Easter weekend, there's no way Jesus rising from the dead is bigger achievement than Rafa having the Newcastle United squad 12th in the Premier League. He is the resurrection and he is the light. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It kind of... It tickles my funny bone um, and actually is kind of completely true because, I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners know much about what's happened with Newcastle, but um, he, Rafa, stayed last season, was promised the earth by Mr. Ashley, and then in January was not allowed to sign anybody. Then this um, season kind of... Uh, settled down as he was as he signed a new contract and again was promised the earth and then again was prevented from signing anybody and the same happened this January so we've gone three transfer windows where we really haven't signed anybody of any massive significance um, so Newcastle fans although they completely support the team and the effort the team puts in know that kind of player for player the talent level isn't necessarily what it should be for a team that's trying to do something in the Premier League. So the fact that he has steered them almost to safety is seen as quite a miracle and an amazing achievement by Mike Ashley. Uh, by Mike Ashley, sorry, by Newcastle fans. I was going to say, giving Mike <laughs> Ashley the credit. Or probably by Mike Ashley as well, let's face it, because he yeah, hasn't had true. to put his hand in his pocket. Um, and of course, you know, last not the last manager, Steve McLaren, but certainly the manager before, you just have this dread of what would have happened had Alan Pardew been in charge of the current squad. And I think we would have been well below West Brom in the table, just on kind of pure talent levels alone. The likes of Pardew seem to think it's all about it's all about them, whether they win and not about them if they lose. Whereas Rafa's one of those rare breed of managers that takes responsibility for what he does with the team before they go on the pitch and therefore the result is governed by the work he does, not by the variables that take place after that. Yeah, very much so, um, in my opinion. And it's certainly something I've heard Rafa say and other top coaches across all sports. The manager, the coach's job is to put the players in the position to succeed. That's mm. their job. It's It's not about... Oh, I was a genius because I took this player off in the 78th minute and put the guy on who scored the winning goal. Hmm. You know, that that's not what their job is. Their job is to put the players in the position to perform to the best of their ability in order to go out and get the result that's necessary. Indeed. And Rafa very much shines the light, the positivity on the players. Um, it's not about him. Now, one of the things that, um, that Rafa did 
when he was at Liverpool was that he seemed and acted like someone who'd fully embraced the city of Liverpool. And I get the impression, as an outsider looking in, that he's done a very similar thing while being manager of Newcastle. I believe there's been sightings of him on cycling trips around the around the streets of Newcastle. Is this is this true? These rumours? Yeah, I mean, he's he's been. I, I don't know about being on cycling trips. Uh, I wouldn't fancy cycling in Newcastle myself, but. <laughs> He has been out and about in the community. He's been very supportive of the work that the Newcastle United Foundation does, uh, which is all around um, making football accessible for everybody. Um, he has embraced and actually kind of his getting behind it has really pushed on the Newcastle United um food bank initiative he's helped raise the profit but he's also put his, he's actually put his own hand in his own pocket and personally contributed finances to the food bank as well which is just wow. an absolutely amazing thing it's not just about putting his face on it yeah. he's money into it as well that's been a great thing um and he just seems to be an all-around lovely man now one last thing then dare, dare you believe you're going to stay up or is it still something you're not going to confidently predict I'm fairly confident we're going to stay up. I mean, it's, we're seven points clear of the drop with a really much better goal difference than the other people in and around us. Unfortunately, the last couple of weeks, as well as the wins going our way, the other results around us have gone our way, which is how we've actually managed to finally open up a small gap between ourselves and the bottom three. Looking at the remaining fixtures for everybody else, as well as us, there's some tough, tough games coming up for the other teams down at the bottom, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool. Um, we have a, two or three of those big games left, but some of the other teams in and around us still have quite a few of those teams to play again. So, fingers crossed. I can't believe I'm actually having to cheer for teams at the very top of the table, but sometimes you need everything to fall your way. Well, look, Zara, thank you very much for, um, for lending us your time to the whistleblowers. Um, good luck for Newcastle for the rest of the season and good luck getting We Are The Geordies ready for the big screen Thank you very much Stuart, thanks for having me and uh, how are the lads? Indeed, back to me in the studio The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Ladbrooks. Well that was... Uh... That was insightful, and uh, and and Carl. Although you probably you you didn't hear what she was saying um, while we were while I pre-recorded that. One of the things that we talked about was um, a love affair with Rafa Benitez. Uh, somebody, a, a Newcastle wag, had tweeted that he was the resurrection, not Jesus, for making that team be currently twelfth in the Premier League. I don't know what you think of. Uh, also, Rafa. he is a looker. I mean, no red-blooded woman could conceivably not have a love affair with Rafa Benitez. I feel like I have. God bless his sweet, sweet breath. He is. He's That's there. what I say. He's, he he's, seems to have tamed Mike Ashley, don't you think, Carl? Well, he, well, Mike Ashley's talking less, isn't he? I think that that's... And that, I think, is that the same thing? Then yes, I'm going to go for that as well. But <laughs> Rafa's not also a man you don't really argue with very often, in case he does the old, I will concentrate on um, uh, coaching my team, which he said 15 times in one interview when he got told off by our owners at Liverpool for uh, moaning about transfer funds. 
Yeah, yeah he's, he's a very, very, um, he's not a man you pick on very often. Not at all, not at all. Now, Phil, now, when, since we were last talking together yes. on this podcast. Oh, just a, a scant couple of months ago. Yeah, a week, a week's a long time in politics, and yeah. maybe four weeks is a massive amount of time in West Ham United's life. We didn't have to play for three weeks, and I think that might have helped. <laughs> that might have really helped. Is that, is that your best run of the season? It so almost far? is, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. We sort of, you know, we, we really steadied the ship in that three weeks by not playing any football. Ironic, ironically, this pro- that is actually true. That seems it like it's true. true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they went away, didn't they? They went to Miami for a few days, played a friendly against uh, sort of Dagenham and Res- Redbridge or something for charity, I think, uh, uh, which they managed to win. That would have been a hugely dispiriting loss uh, during their downtime if they got beat uh, very easily it's by a double-edged team. double-edged sword, that, isn't it? That's yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yes, and then they played at the weekend... Um, to uh, Liverpool's feeder club, Southampton. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, one, you know, one in the first half. And uh, it was uh, seemed good. It was a good, uh, it was a good performance, you know. Um, it, it, it had to be um, uh, because, you know, obviously things got a, a little uh, as toxic, as people say. I was going to say, last in Sunday. terms of a win makes such a difference for toxicity at West Ham, it would seem. Well, I mean, the whole kind of uh, uh, furore uh, over the kind of new stadium and uh, people sort of don't like the owners very much. None of that, I think, would be uh, evident if, if we played a bit better. But mm. last season we played poorly. They had the chance over the summer to strengthen didn't really strengthen in the right positions or, or, mm. or acquired players without a kind of plan. And then we played badly this season. And I think that, you know, the, with all the, you know, the, the years of history in the old ground, moving to the new ground was already something that didn't appeal to a large amount so, of the so fan base. And then we played badly for two years. Well, yeah. a year and a half so far. But, but so were you, were you able to literally talk about football again on, uh, after, after that result? Well, we haven't uh, done a podcast yet, but we will talk about a podcast. Uh, we, we, we will talk about football on the podcast that we do after this very podcast. Because when Liverpool was toxic, Carl, it, what, Liverpool fans weren't, even if they won, they weren't talking about football, were they? It was, it was a real, it, when, when Hodgson was there and the, at the peak of the Hicks and Gillette. When Liverpool go toxic, we commit heavily to that toxicity. <laughs> we really do. And that was 2010. Um, we hated each other. I mm. mean, we're only literally just recovering from that now, mm. to be honest, because obviously um, um, Hudson was replaced by Kenny. We had the end of that mm. Kenny season, and everyone loved Kenny. Then it didn't go quite so well for Kenny the next year because he just won a trophy. Mm. Uh, it's not enough, obviously. Uh, and then people weren't very happy with Rodgers, and now everyone likes Jurgen. Yeah, so it's, it's the yeah. first. It's literally the first time in eight years we're all talking to each other. We still hate each other at the same time. Liverpool fans always hate. What's each your other. What's your worst memory of that of that period? Under oh the, God, oh. this is really easy. Um, uh, Liverpool one, Blackpool two, October two thousand and ten. Yeah. Two 0 at half time. Charlie Adam running in the midfield. Torres mm-hmm. went off after about ten minutes. Um, we were two 0 down to a penalty that Glenn Johnson gave away, and he was still arguing with the referee as he was leaving. The that pitch. was one of my rare, rare, rare visits to Anfield. That one. That was and, uh, awful, wasn't it? Yeah, I was. I was. Um, well, I, I, wrote, I wrote about this, uh, and um, they actually the picture they put up of just the game. You know, the spot picture they put up of the game. You can actually see me standing under the scoreboard at <laughs> half time, going. Not a clue. Sorry, that, that's good radio. Um, <laughs> my arms in here just going, I've no idea. It's the first time I've considered leaving a half time. I've never felt that ever. Yeah. But there's going to be a, um, a, a protest in the ground after the game, hmm. um, uh, where famously Gerard ran past and applauded all the people who um, 
who stayed to, to go get against the owners. But that was just when I thought, um, the next week we lost to Everton 2-0, the last time they mm. beat us, 2010. And Roy Hodgson said, to win here would be a utopia. We've lost three times in 16 years at Goodison Park or something like that. Was, mm. was, there, was, there, was there an air of any protest at all pre-game at West Ham? Because obviously it was, it was... In the last match? Yeah, in the uh, last match. No, we- no, no. I mean, you know, there was a strange... In a way, one of the questions people had about the uh, the mooted um, march, which didn't happen, mm. uh, was what what happens after you have that march? Because in a sense, what people were complaining about uh, to a large extent were quite abstract things that can't be changed back. You know, mm. a march for women's suffrage has something quite clear at the end. Yeah. Women's suffrage. Yeah. Uh, this march was about a kind of general malaise and I'm not very happy. We can't go back <laughs> to the old ground. It's flats now. Yeah. You know, the, the kind yeah. of... So in a way, the, the, the discontent was about quite a lot of things that could not be nailed down and couldn't be solved that uh, can't big, go big, back to the old ground mm-hmm. you've got to get some of the aims it felt like you needed a time machine to achieve them yeah, and you're also, not going to get a 25 year old Billy Bonds running out on the pitch Yeah, to the same extent that you're not going to get the old ground back the return it's of gone. Alan Devonshire please that's right yeah, yeah. yeah. but, but, the, but the, 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 the big difference between what, what, what Carl was talking about with what was going on in Liverpool was you yeah. had a pair of Texans who, who had yes. basically divided yes. their own families and, and weren't interested in the football and Rafa Benitez didn't know his boss was anymore. Whereas you've got two guys who are West Ham fans. I mean, here's my perspective Which is it. quite I, surreal. People, people, you know, uh, a lot of people just unreservedly hate Salon and Gold and uh, I don't really have an opinion about them. But I am um, a little alarmed about what their goals are now because they before we moved from Upton Park they um there was a certain amount of uh rebranding of the badge for example it had the mm. it has the word London on it and with East End's uh, prostitute murdering heritage yes, uh Bobby Moore and the <laughs> so West proud. Ham so proud Bobby Moore and the West Ham fans kind of uh, West Ham other other West Ham players lifting the the World Cup in 1966 yeah, yeah. all that sort of it's London it's the East End yeah, yeah. uh we, we were bombed in the blitz it's yeah. London's team Knees up you sort of thought when they when they move to the new bigger stadium they are looking for some kind of foreign investment to to really you know, move up a level as as it's as a bold move to think of yourself as the London club, isn't it? Well, or to claim centers. that you are. You know, yeah. a lot of uh, Chelsea publicity sort of is of the we are London's team sort yeah, yeah, of yeah. inclination. You know, right. and uh, so I think probably every London team is, is within their rights to kind of go, we are the best team in London in the way that probably. Manchester's two teams do the same and Liverpool's two do Um, but it felt like they were positioning themselves to kind of sell either a stake in the club or 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 maybe the whole club to somebody who can invest you know more and make it a club that you know will be a kind of top half fixture of the Premier League if not a kind of you know, top seven but champ. It, that, you that, know. That, that's a modern football thing, though, isn't it? Because they basically, because we've got the same owners, we've got our owners mm. in Boston, and they're, they're trading constantly on the, the glory of the cop. It's really yes, loud, all that sort of thing, while saying at the same time, can we just change it a bit? Can yeah. you stop making quite so much noise? We're going to look at the flags you bring into the ground, that yeah. sort of thing. We're going to make like, you wear bibs if you, if you bring a banner into the ground. Yeah, all, all that sort of right, stuff, yeah, you right. know, it was. Um, um, we want to keep, you know, we're, we're a young, vibrant support, but by the way, there's no way your kids are going to be able to, yeah. to come into this ground. So it's, it's, it's that constant war of trying to modernise, 
trying to modernise the East End spirit. Yes. While yeah. taking it out of the East End. Yes. Um, <laughs> Makes no sense at all. I mean, it, you know, the one thing that slightly concerns me is that they, they um, and I mean, they can't really say anything else because people, people are already concu- sort of accusing them of kind of that they're going to suck the money out, suck whatever money out of the club they can and then sell it. Yeah. I sort of think, well, they do probably need to sell it. It's a 60,000-seater stadium. They need to kind of move the club up a level to owners that have a bit more money. You know, Gold and Sullivan are not as rich as, you know, the Qataris. I mean, or especially as, with your rent in the ground, you're essentially just a badger. Yeah, because that's you, right. you could no longer have a ground, and then where do you go? That's right. I mean, obviously, they can't sort of make claims that they're going to sell it because that does kind of in a way vindicate the people that go they're only in it to, mm. to kind of sell the club but as i think as fans of the club they would like to involve more people in the running of the club that have larger amounts of money than they do uh, so everyone wants to be a sleeping partner don't they i think that's probably true <laughs> yeah so cow Crystal Palace 1, Liverpool 2 can i just make one point about West yeah, sure, by the sure. way. i really miss upton park and i miss upton park a lot i love upton park yeah i miss the screen adverts which bear absolutely no relevance to the football whatsoever. No. Things like stonemasonry, call Dave yes. on 077. I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And you don't get that with the London Stadium. It's just not the same thing. No, no, no. That, the, 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 That's a bit like missing Pearl and Dean adverts. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's, honestly, it's, it's like Dave around the corner selling a fridge. It's, it's literally that, that level of advertising. I really like that about Just 50 yards from this stadium. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So, Crystal Palace 1, Liverpool 2. Yes. Arguably a, a new a new breed of bogey team, Crystal Palace, in a sense, aren't they, to Liverpool? And with the spectre of a, a Roy Hodgson win hanging over that game as well, it, it's quite satisfying for Liverpool maybe to get... Well, everything, everything's against us in that game, because firstly, it's Hodgson. Hmm. And uh, so obviously, we want to beat everything. It's, it's, it's a horrible ground. I love Salah's part, but it's a horrible ground to get to. Hmm. And I did the thing of getting off at Thornton Heath and thinking, I'm sure it's only two minutes away. And then half an hour later, you still hmm. walk and thinking, yeah. I still can't see a floodlight. What's going on? Hmm. Um, they're not London's club, are they? They're not. They're, <laughs> no. And they've got... Um, they're Croydon's club. <laughs> and of course, they've got Liverpool players. Yeah. They've got Sacco, they've got Martin Kelly. Diego Cavalieri, our goalkeeper from 2011, is on the is, is on the bench. I never knew. I was the only person who cheered in the ground when his name was called. <laughs> so, hey, it's Diego. Oh, to God, he gets on. Um, and, yeah, everything's against us. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an atmospheric club and... Um, but I never really felt we'd lose because I just think I, I looked first at, half shades of this way at Swansea recently, wasn't there? I mean, obviously. oh god, god. then I then I saw the game. I should say <laughs> then, then I saw the midfield of um, of the non-jumping Jordan Henderson hmm. and um, uh, and and the the, the soporific um, Joel Matty put the back hmm. and you know you see the first goal. You see, it's obvious what they were going to do. Big ball over to Ben Teke and then he run into the goalkeeper and I get a penalty. Hmm. And then, but what's what Palace stopped doing? was that. It was really oh. interesting. He got to 1-0, and you can obviously, this is just classic Hodgson, who's just thinking, Lump take, it forward. take that, no, just take it. Don't try anything flash now, just go and do that. So there's none of this feeding Townsend or Sahar, anything like that. They just thought, we're just going to keep Liverpool in the middle of the field. And we do that long enough, even if we're, we're having a bad performance. Our strikers are pretty good. Yeah. And they only need one chance, which is what Salah had, had in the end. Yeah. And I just thought, and then I watched match of the day, and I saw Hodgson afterwards, and he basically just said, his interviews are fantastic because all he does is just repeat what's happened in the game. Well, we went mm. a goal up. Uh, we thought we'd do really well there. And ultimately, <laughs> we lost 2-1. That's not an interview, Roy. That's basically a press report. Mm. It's and, and 
I just thought it was really... He used to write for Oracle and CFAX when there were, uh, when there were those kind of just, just running commentaries of just what's tell, happening he's, in he's, games. He's, he's, like, um, he's like a wire service. Yeah. A wire, yeah, a wire exactly. service in front of a microphone, that's all he is. Um, ben Teko doesn't need just one chance to score. He needs like 10 to 15. He's not scored goal. with his feet for nearly 18 months or something. Really? Yeah, he scored four with his head. Because he it? had some glorious misses, didn't he? Yeah. That uh, Liverpool game. That was the, the first one. I mean, the first one, the second one, it comes through quite quickly. Yes, he, he's tried to loop. But the first one, the keeper's basically saying, just put it there. There's nothing mm-hmm. I can... You know, that, that horrible second where you think, this is just the, we, this is the goal. You know, this is just going to happen. And, well, do you th- I mean, it's, it's, you mentioned the goalkeeper because obviously he was, he was supposedly at fault for the, for the penalty. But I, watching it again on match of the day, you, you go, well, if he doesn't come out, then Zaha doesn't have to try and clip the ball past anybody. So therefore yep. he just wins a ball and he's in on goal. Yeah. If the ball hits the goalie, it's a good save. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't know what you feel. Arguably, I'd want... He got caught between both things, didn't you'd he? You'd want really? your goalie to be on the front foot rather yeah. than waiting to see where the ball bounces. Well, I'd quite like to Joel Matic to clear the ball in the first place. That might have been there nice. A, there is that done that. And the non-jumping Jordan Henderson as well. But um, So who's the he, first he choice some... centre-backs at Liverpool now? Because Lovren's not very good. Well, there's a theory. Or has about he got this. a bit better? There's a theory about this. It's Van Dyke, obviously, the main one. Yeah. When Lovren plays with him, Lovren does play better because right. there's a theory that Matip is so so sleepy that they can't play together because right. they're not front foot enough. Whereas right. Van Dyke tells people what to do. Mm. Van Dyke's debut at Everton in the FA Cup was beautiful because he bollocked the goalkeeper four times in the first half. Right. And he was constantly in Lovren's ear. Uh, every single time he plays with them. There's a theory that Lovren plays better because Van Dijk's telling him what to do. Right, yeah, yeah. Whereas Matip, I don't think he's spoken since he's been here. Um, right. And people like Joel Matip, I just, he's just not my sort of centre-back. Cause he's just got a good posture, which I think tricks people into yeah. thinking he's good. Yeah, he can't head. <laughs> For he, someone that's six foot four, that's a bit of a... He, he cannot head like a ball. Yeah. Yeah. He just cannot head a ball. He's good. Well, he scored at, at um, mm. Palace away last year. We were 4-0. Mm. Was it 4-1, maybe? Um... And that's the last time I've saw him head a ball mm. and not be surprised at where the ball had gone afterwards. <laughs> right. But I think I think in, in, in Liverpool's sort of recent history, say 15 years or so, that 2-1 win, having been a goal down at half-time, I'm going to say eight out of ten times they wouldn't have won that game. Well, under, sort of, definitely under late Rafa, my mate's got this... Uh, Say we had Fulham at home. I might have had this little little saying, which I really liked, was Fulham at home, 1-1, one, one, we'll equalise first. Because <laughs> that's exactly how he's to do it. The, the second they score, well, we can't win. And there's a lot, lots of times on Julio as well, where go a goal down, you think the best you're going to hope is a point. Yeah. We just don't fight enough yeah. to get back in and to do that. And we're doing that now. And, you know, there's only, what, seven minutes left when, when we got the winner on Saturday, but we knew it was coming. Yeah, We knew it was there because they only need, you know, Mane had gone off at that point, obviously, yeah. legally. And um, we just knew that, that you know, we, he can do things that Christian Benteke can't do. Mm, true. Like it, the ball it, where he wants it to it's go. It's sort of fun when you're watching your team, um, when you go a goal down, but such is the way the team's playing that season that you go, that's okay. That's okay. We'll yeah. score. We'll, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I remember uh, the first premiership season under Pardew. Uh, quite often we'd go a goal behind it and you just go, it's okay, it's all right, yeah. doesn't matter. We'll, we'll, we'll score. Not, you know. I always say the same thing, punish them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. They've and, had the temerity to try against us. The last season at Upton Park under Billich when we had Pae and yeah, Lanzini yeah. and everyone yeah. was sort of, and Sacco and everyone was kind of motoring. I remember Palace scoring against us and literally the words, 
their lead was only to last literally going through my head i could hear the commentary and sure enough we equalized within i'd say about five minutes of that goal so you you just knew you'd score and it's those are the two times in recent memory obviously kind of you know there there were times certainly you know the 80s the sort of mcaveny and cotty partnership that season they just scored a hat from the goals because devonshire would score them as well you know they had and um mark ward you know they had it wasn't just the strikers that scored everyone sort of had a go and it's just a great feeling watching a team going that's all right we'll score you yeah. know yeah so so you, you obviously you're, you're seeing this result either watching the game in the pub before your game or, or you're seeing the result come in so that's a good start to the weekend seeing Palace get beat for West Ham absolutely you, yeah, we need, yeah we need yeah we need you know because obviously we are in that position where you're starting to wonder about results around you as well and, say, we, and, and when they when Palace went a goal up you're kind of going oh no come on man <laughs> Cut yeah. us a break, you know, because we've got to win the game we're playing today. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. we need favours, you know. I think everyone needs favours. And then you're, you're looking, you're looking across the league, and you've got Newcastle versus Huddersfield. So that's one of your competitors. That's right. Yeah, yeah, places, yeah. And that went, I guess, the right way. Sort of the right way. Yeah, yeah. The the, the team that was already. How, how? I mean, what? What? This obviously, this is the end of the season where watching other results becomes almost as much fun as uh, watching your own games, you know, isn't it? Uh, yeah, or not as much fun even. Sadly, that that is the case. I mean, actually, I think the 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 particular kind of. Uh, um, series of results kind of went in our favour very mm. much so on Saturday and then yeah. um, Sundays was didn't really matter it was like Spurs, Chelsea and Arsenal did a number on Stoke which yeah, is fine yeah, yeah, that puts yeah. them further out of contention you know uh, so certainly so how certain are you of West Ham staying up Zara oh, talking about Newcastle seemed almost buoyant now yeah I mean I think um, they've got more points than I mean we're, we're you know we're still on 33 so I mean mm. mathematically there's every possibility of us going down that win was vital though you know yeah. and I think um, we've you know we've got some tough games we've got four out of seven at home so the majority yeah. the slight majority of games are at home and those are the sort of slightly easiest ones we've got Chelsea away and Arsenal away so we've got Chelsea away as well yeah Who, I mean, who's actually, going down then with West, West, West Brom in your mind Carl? I'd love to say Everton. It's not fair that they've bodied, they've gone no, all the way up to ninth place. Would now. you really like Everton to go down? Yeah, you'd not miss the derby as as, as a season as an event, a couple of events in the season. We we'll get them in the cup. That's fine. <laughs> they're a team that they're a team that sort of deserves to feel what it's like. You know, of, of the teams that you're thinking. <laughs> Should should Seriously? go down. Yeah, in a way. I mean, since the advent of the Premier League, I mean, Manchester City have been down more than we have and dropped yeah. a couple of divisions, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, They've everyone's done, way. except the sort of the big, except for the big teams. Uh, you yeah. know, so that Liverpool have never been down, obviously. Man U. Everton and Arsenal are the only teams that haven't been down, like, pre-war, have they? Is that yeah. The, and it, it was Coventry. Coventry had the record yeah, yeah. for ages before they really went So it's down. only Arsenal and uh, Everton, mm. I think. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, Villa until they went down hadn't gone down and yeah. uh, they went on a sort of slow steady decline over the decades didn't they Everton quite early on in the Premier certainly in the 90s I remember 94. they got 94 a sort of 94 was the and Sagers one wasn't it yep. yeah they got a sort of they stayed up by the skin of their teeth a couple of times you mm. know uh they got they they had no strikers and they got mm. that Arsenal guy Kevin Campbell yep. on loan and he was their fucking savior that season. Mm. I mean they were you know he really did come and bang in a load of goals for them. I'm and so they, pleased uh, you mentioned Kevin Campbell because I get to say this sentence: <laughs> he's the last player to score a winning goal for Everton at Anfield. Ah, <laughs> September 1999. Interesting. I mentioned that a lot this week. Twenty years next season. Yeah, then. twenty years next year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. In fact, he's had he now has a son who plays for Man City. 
Does he? And so in that all the times since they've beaten us, he's brought up a son who is now a professional footballer. Wow. And they still have him with weakness at Anfield. Wow. So who? So do we? I mean, given Arsenal's win against Stoke, Stoke are desperate to go down. They're doing all they can, yes, to go down. I mean, you know, getting getting you know getting rid of the manager and stuff, um, in a sort of West Brom way, yeah. As well, uh, I think Stoke are definitely going to go. Uh, I want to see Huddersfield stay up. I want to see West Ham stay up. No offense, I want the points, mm. uh, and because uh, <laughs> we do get some points off of West Ham to the home. And nobody's going to shed a tear if Mark Hughes goes down. I think no, uh, they looked poor as well. I was going to say, what do you they... think? What do you think of anything? Has he instilled anything of any use into them? No, they were really shapeless in the first half. I mean, one thing that, that he, you would well, I sort of hope hope is the wrong word, but hope that he saw was in the second half they moved mm. Tadic, who is the the only one they haven't sold to Liverpool or Schneider mm. to Man U, uh, who's sort of stayed from the days when they were good. Yeah. Uh, they sort of moved him inside and he saw more of the ball in the second half and they were better against Did us. Did Lamina play? Sorry? Lamina. I don't the, the, the lad they got is. from Juventus. I don't, I don't know. I kind of, their sure. team has changed so much that yeah. I don't really know. I don't mind him, I think it's okay. Um, but Tadic, you know, is now the kind of little orphan of the, of the great days of Southampton yeah, yeah, that yeah. team. And, They've uh, literally been asset stripped, haven't they? As a yeah, totally, it, it yeah. would look like yeah. without really... By Liverpool. So, and Tottenham, to be fair, as well. Yeah. We, we, we sit here on the eve, Carl, of the first leg of Liverpool versus Man City in the Champions League. A rather unfortunate draw for, for the English Premier League, but is, is it an unfortunate draw for Liverpool? It is for Liverpool fans who like to go to live, to go and sit in bars in the continent. Mm. You can't travel 30 miles and call that European away. You need a passport to go mm. to European away. That's as far as I'm concerned. It is. It's the one we didn't want because um, I wanted anyone else. I wanted. I would happy with Real Madrid mm. because to Madrid you get to go to Madrid and watch mm. Liverpool play, mm. and you can't really get that sort of same buzz off Manchester really. Yeah. And um, it's like when we used to play Chelsea all the time in the last decade, and we've played them like mm. 15 times a season. And I don't want that. And, you know, but it is what it is. You know, they battered us once this season. We sort of battered them. We're the only uh, English team to beat them this year still, I think. I mean, John, Te- uh, John Terry famously has now said in his, in his twilight years that that 2005 semi-final was the best atmosphere he's ever played in. Yeah. Is, how much difference is that going to make? Because obviously they've played against Liverpool in the league, but that's not the same as European night, is it, Anfield? No, not at all. And um, there's been a lot made of this, and, and, and City fans are quite rightly saying, look, all they're going to do, because you know, obviously they're going to turn up on the coach and there's going to be lots of mm. stuff outside, and Redmen TV are being criticised by somebody for saying that they wanted pyro and all that sort of stuff outside. And the City fans say, no, all they're going to do is just draw the curtains. And, you know, <laughs> fine, it's the end of that. But once you're in the ground, it is different. Two thousand, I went to, I couldn't go in 2005, I went in 2007, and you literally feel the ground move. Mm. And that's got to have a response. And beautifully, when we beat Chelsea in 2007, um, Mourinho said, oh, I didn't even notice the crowd. Which means he really, really, really noticed yeah, yeah, the yeah, crowd. Because yeah, 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 that's yeah. exactly what you say if you want to do the opposite. That's when Rafa sat on the turf, cross-legged, and watched the penalty shootout in the uh, in the, basically the most zen pose you could come up with. I've been, enjoy- I've been enjoying, in terms of the media coverage, the non-war of words between Guardiola and Klopp that the press Because they sort tried. of get on, yeah. yeah. They, 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 <laughs> it's the worst narrative for the yeah, media, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. They want, they want you know... Two um, professionals with mutual respect for each other. They want Mourinho yeah, against Wenger. nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I think the other one's really good. Okay, yeah. and De Bruyne was saying today how great he thought Salah is. Yeah. Okay, that's no good. Well, what, what's yeah. next, you know? Yeah. So, Guardiola saying, Liverpool like to attack the spaces, which is what we'll give them. 
Yeah. <laughs> Fine, I'm happy with that. So I suppose to talk a bit about Raheem Sterling and mm. the fact that he's never had a game, game at Anfield since he's been back. Mm. He got booed off the park in January when we played them and uh, I got taken off, in fact. Um, so I think the, the narrative is going to be around him, really. Is mm. he going to come back and wreck Jürgen Klopp? Um, I like the fact that we're underdogs. I really like that. It's... Um, we're built for that. That's mm. good. Um, seems mad to say Liverpool in Europe is an underdog situation to mm. be in, but um, but obviously I wanted Seville or I wanted Roma. Um, but I would have but taken when, I, when I've spoken to City fans on, on the Whistleblowers before, there's, there's kind of a, a reluctance to to be accept being a big club, whereas no matter where Liverpool are, they seem to talk about themselves as being a big club, especially when it yeah. comes to Europe. There's no there's no inferiority complex no, even when they're underdogs. Not, is not there? at all. Not at all. And. Um, it's just because, and a lot of this is to do, I think, with 2005 when, you know, Liverpool weren't supposed to beat Juventus. Juventus True. had won three Scudettes in a row or something like that, or they're on the way to winning three in a mm. row. Um, we weren't supposed to beat Chelsea, who were like 7,000 points mm. ahead of us in the league at the time. And, um, and, and Rafa said before the, before the second leg, Chelsea are a really, really good team, but Jose's going to lose tomorrow. And we're like, yeah, right. Mm. They did. Mm. Um, so we're not supposed to be in this situation because it is our first proper campaign back mm. since 2009. Um, I'm not counting 2010. I'm definitely not counting the, the, the six games we had under Rodgers, which is just a basically how fast can we get out of this competition? Yeah, when they played you and me in Madrid. Oh. <laughs> does does it wet the whistle for you, Phil, to 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 the prospects of a uh, two English Premier League teams doing battle in the latter stages of? The, yeah, of I the think Champions it's League? exciting. I think that's a good. Uh, you know. Um, uh, it is a shame that they weren't kept apart a little longer so yeah. that there'd be more kind of English presence in that competition. But it is a, you know, the Champions League is so unexciting through those group stages that as it gets, you know, as it gets closer to mm. the kind of a, the sharp end of everything, you know, you, you, you know, in a way, this is something that does make the narrative, you know, more exciting is this kind mm. of, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, Lancashire sort of, you know, just kind of derby. Um, obviously, not United Liverpool, but but City Liverpool is still the kind of Manchester Liverpool game. I'm quite excited by it. I think, mm. You know, it's definitely one that you know I'd sort of go to the pub and watch, and probably will. Now, you've got uh, at the weekend as part of your cementing your position in the Premier League. You're yes. off to Stamford Bridge. Off to Stamford Bridge. Is it 2002 since your last one there? It could conceivably be, yeah, yeah. So Canio scored a fantastic goal in that season. Given, given, we went down that given season. where we did the double over them that season and went down. <laughs> I think we might have done the double over the like United as well. Yeah, I think we we played extremely well against the top clubs and got relegated with forty two points. Was that the Barthez season? The when the I think, West Ham uh, beat when the FA Cup. Uh, the I think we did. might have played them in the cup as well. I think that yeah. was in the cup yeah, and January, uh, yeah. and. Defoe scored, I yeah. think, in a one nil there. Unless okay. that's the same game. Oh, but it's been it's interesting. It's up. interesting just watching watching the news conference. People change to want to evoke. I think maybe this is, says a lot more about where Chelsea are at the moment. Mm. There's a lot of lot of lot of preview coverage evoking the spirit of '86, Devonshire, Cotton, yeah, yeah. and McAvenny getting getting four nil at Stamford yeah, Bridge. Yeah. You fancy a bit of that? Well, I mean, there's you know definitely. It's funny, I mean, the last couple of years, the kind of aura of invincibility has come off both Manchester United and Chelsea, I think. They're sort of... Just a little bit, yeah. It's felt that those teams, you know, and Arsenal, really. Mm. uh, It's felt that, you know, you've got a chance against those teams. I mean, you know, it's funny, isn't it? I I think one thing that that Chelsea don't really have that both City and Liverpool and and Spurs do have is is players who are playing at the absolute top of their game. There's, Mm. There's quite a few 
players for Chelsea that are underperforming this season. Hazard is underperforming. He seems to be mismanaged into a bad end of a career, doesn't he? Yes, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, you know, he had that after his... The season where, you know, by all accounts, he didn't get on very well mm. with Mourinho. He had this fantastic season with a, with a, with a massively enthusiastic manager who this season is like walking around with a cloud over him, like Eeyore or something. And so Hazard's gone again. And the only one that I think is probably playing maybe some of the best football of his career is Willian at, mm. at Chelsea. Yeah. But everyone player. else is sort of playing. They're sort of fine. Fabregas yeah. feels like a kind of shadow of his former self. Murata. Pe- yes, Murata. You know, they all. I mean, that, Cal, that kind of what seemingly mismanagement of top talented players because of the way the football's run, football clubs run from the top, they just put people in as like yep. almost like everything's an emergency fit. Yeah. So yeah. the players that need a longer, a longer life yeah. um, need to be looked after. So the likes of Klopp and Guardiola are very, are very much seem to be attractive propositions, don't yeah. they? For, for, yeah, for because, players what, on because the what you don't yeah. want, if you're going to a new club, the, the, the last thing you want to do is think, it, is, is basically be, be put somewhere for 10 minutes and then you might go and play a different position in the club and then you just get bored with the whole thing and you know you get you get sort of left out they don't feel loved as much really no. um i think it, it it spoke volumes this week when hazard said that he's going to be offered a new contract by chelsea but he's not even going to look at look at it until after the world cup yeah you might as well just stand on a chair and wave at real madrid yeah, that's yeah, basically what absolutely. he's done there and and and, and conte's been crossing dates off in his calendar for the last six months absolutely as far I as mean, I'm he's started from the beginning of the season yeah. and he seemed to get into an argument with them about player acquisition in the summer and then mm. has just just been palpably sulking in plain sight for mm. the whole season and yeah. uh, is that as you just being why should i yeah, yeah. weird isn't it why should i, mean, I do this and, yeah. and, and, and i thought yesterday you know when they went 2-1 down i thought well at least they, they've got the players you can you know Giroud to come yeah. on and people like that yeah, yeah. and uh, straight away 3-1 you just thought well that just sums Chelsea up this now, now, it looks like at the weekend we're going to see the Manchester derby and Manchester City win the league against their rivals. Um, sandwiched between the two Champions League games at Liverpool is what a week the Merseyside derby. What a week we've got. And I guess, I guess beating Crystal Palace makes the next step not as hard because one wins out the way in terms of yes. 10 days, I suppose. Yep. How, how do Liverpool approach the derby? Do, do we see the same kind of changes that we saw in the FA Cup or is he going to keep... I think he plays pretty much just... He's got to go strong. Mm. Because because what, he, what he's got to do, he's got to make the most out of that Chelsea result. Mm. He's got to say, three points here. And Everton are dreadful. And it was really disappointing in the home game where he doesn't put the big three up front. He played mm. Solanke, yeah. who still hasn't scored a senior goal. And... I wanted I wanted that game to be not just a victory. This is I wanted it to be a statement of where we are and where Everton are. Mm. That game should have been seven or eight nil, and then he played Solanke and he got a lot of use of that. We drew one one the whole yeah. Lover and, and the Carl Lewin mm. thing at the end. I think he goes strong. I think he tries to win the game early, then takes people off. That's what I'd like to do. Uh, whether he plays Trent in the derby, I don't mm. know, but um, because I think you, you need a scouser in the side. Mm. Um, and you also need someone who can run at their incredibly slow midfield. So, um, and Everton was so bad at City. Yes, it, it did look. It didn't look like Liverpool absolutely, were have much to absolutely play woeful. They, they, they really were. And um, I watched that game, and you know, as much as I enjoy Everton getting beat, I just thought, well, you've just you've, you've got nothing. And the, the, the reason I said before that Everton should go down is before the season started, Evertonians were telling you that they were going to finish above us. And Richard Key said that as well. And mm. people were talking about them being, the, the, we call them now the Merseyside billionaires, because that's all they talked about. 45 million for Seagurdsson, we've got Rooney back, this is it. 
Well, that's been The Whistleblowers. (laughs) This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labbrooks. If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft, Oracle, IBM and others, and when budgeting for software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. What's your thoughts on Fulham? Chances are you don't think about them too much, but nice away day by the river, used to have a Michael Jackson statue, and once did quite well under Roy Hodgson. But that's probably about it, because chances are you're not a Fulham fan. However, if you do know someone that supports Fulham, maybe a mate or a colleague at work, please tell them about the Fulhamish podcast that I host every week looking at each Fulham game as it comes and goes, with a nice bit of quirkiness and humour along the way too. You can find Fulhamish at fulhamish.co.uk, and we're also available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, Acast, and playbackmedia.co.uk. That's Fulhamish, your weekly independent Fulham FC podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.